what is nothingness? And you think just a black blackness, a void. Well, no, black is a color and a void is a thing. Okay, maybe it's just like a white room, like in the Matrix, like it's just this empty space. No, space is a thing. Space for things to exist in is something. Space for things to extend into is something. So it can't be that. Nothingness is unfathomable. And why then something instead of nothing? Because nothingness must not be even a real concept. It's not a real idea. Because for things to exist at all, something always was. And that's like when you get to those metaphorical, like very deep concepts of what God must be. The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. Fantastic. All right. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night. Welcome to the podcast. We are having an early morning discussion about the meaning of life and hoping that we can get this on the record because <laughs> the record has been screwing up recently and we've been losing everything. It's been killing my motivation. My ID comp is off. Our ID comp is off <laughs> Way because off. we can't even record the podcast. <laughs> Oh. I'm getting no signals of process from my environment. <laughs> yeah, or progress, process, progress, whatever it is. I am just putting an effort and then I just completely throw that away. <laughs> just forget about that. I'm I'm literally yeah. going to be compulsively checking the recording device like oh my god. But maybe that's another thing that's interesting that we can weave into what we're talking about cuz uh you know What's the point of doing it if you don't even enjoy doing it? You know, if it's like if it has to have an ulterior motive, it's the constant tension. I go back and forth about the podcast all the time in mm. this way. But uh, yeah, anyway. Anyway, you were telling us about this thing you're writing um, about these questions, which one, yeah, just curious, what, uh, where did, what brought these questions up for you? What, what mind space have you been in? And what are these things you've been thinking about? Well, I'll put it like I put it a minute ago, (laughs) but for someone who's unfamiliar with my mental uh, constitution would be maybe the word. Um, (laughs) My mental mm, landscape. uh, Yeah, I'm just uh, based on the uh, only reliable psychological kind of evaluation that probably exists, and I mean scientifically reliable the big five personality traits that seem to remain fairly consistent through time. Even the change is consistent across populations. So I'm just a volatile, neurotic (laughs) person, which is fine. Who is it? It's just how I am. Well, you are fairly... I think what you're non-volatile... And very oh. conscientious, probably. Or you mm. might be... I can't remember. Because definitely there's some you can be strong in one and you just can't be strong in the other according to the scale. Mm. So... Some of them are correlated. Remember. Yeah, so I can't remember which which ones have like an opposite that you... Like, I don't know. Can you be volatile and conscientious? I feel like those are... Or are those... 
I can't remember. Well, I don't know. It gets confusing because it's like, well, there's like Myers-Briggs, which is like you have the turbulent and then constant, but that's not ocean, which is the big five. And then, yeah, but I don't know if you can be like highly conscientious and certain other traits. Like, can you be highly conscientious and really open? I'm sure those are probably less correlated or something. You can probably, it's probably you can be anything, but some are more or less likely. And probably some are more likely to be crazy people. Um, Like if you're a highly neurotic person, but you're also like very open to new experience or something, that's probably a little wild. Um, Like I'm very fastidious about the details, but I'm constantly seeking new things. (laughs) Yeah. So it's openness to experience conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Right, and right. I think I, I think Jordan Peterson and some other people have developed tests where they break some of those down. So there's like really like, you can break like neuroticism down into like two scales as well or two poles. Right, and everything so can I'm, be broken down because it's a like high level overview of the landscape. But each characteristic is like made up of a bunch of sub characteristics that they lump together. You know what? Let me. I have to take a pause. I mean, whatever. I just have to, I want to type something into my email search because I remember this. Under, is it, let me see what it was called because I have something. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think it was worth it. Hang on. Wow, this is working. I can't believe this is working. My ID comp is, is rising right now as we speak. Okay, here's my scores. That was all just to find your scores. Oh my it was, God. Well, because I took the Jordan Peterson version of this a long time ago, like when I was in college. And uh, yeah, so agreeableness, low. I am in the 20th percentile. So if you were one of 100 people in a room, you would be lower in agreeableness than 79%. Of the people. This is back okay. my apologies. Great. Yes. Next. Tell Moderately us. low. So th- you, I'm not going to describe how he does his. I'm just going to tell you the scores and you'll get it. If you un- want to know, you just have to look it up. It, it's His Take thing is test. called understand myself. That, so just go there, make an account, do the thing. And it's very robust. You get a great report. I mean, great as in, well, mine report was not so great, but great <laughs> as in it's robust. It'll tell you you're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it, it will. If you're, it might not. Mine, I was very disappointed. I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah. So a low agreeableness, uh, 20, I guess that would be out of 100. Um, moderately low in compassion, which I find that to be a little disturbing, possibly not true, but it says so. Extremely low in politeness. I'm in the 12th percentile. So that's good. Great. <laughs> Um, what are these typi- Indian people doing in our town? <laughs> I think I agree with the politeness thing. I don't mean it in a bad way. I just, it's just a temperament thing. Oh my God. Um, funny. I just had a little bit of a fight with Kim about my level of uh, politeness, um, towards others. Uh, conscientiousness, average 49, right in the middle. Industriousness. It says I'm low, which it bothered me. Moderately low, 32. Um, 
people who are lower in industriousness are less likely to be successful in school and in administrative and material uh, managerial positions, particularly if they're also less intelligent, which I don't know what my intelligence is. Orderliness, this is this is starting to get mind-boggling. Moderately high, 66. Uh, extroversion, typical, 57. Uh, enthusiasm, again, strange, but extremely low, 17th percentile. Assertiveness, <laughs> extremely high, 88th percentile. <laughs> low politeness, high assertiveness. <laughs> L- low enthusiasm, Damn. high assertiveness, low polite or uh, low politeness yeah it's i'm just a mess oh okay God. so yeah high high okay neuroticism moderately high 64 typical withdrawal which is 41 it says uh individuals average in withdrawal may occasionally suffer from anticipatory anxiety but generally not impeded by it uh quite high in volatility 80th percentile Volatility, mm, individuals high in Bingo. volatility tend to vary in their mood. They can be irritable, reacting strongly to disappointment, frustration, pain, and the threat of social isolation. They can lash out and are relatively relatively easily annoyed. They are more likely to act out <laughs> verbally. There's the rudeness. Express their frustration. There's the assertiveness. Disappointment and irritability. Uh, they can be stirred up and upset once angry or irritated, take longer than average time to calm down, and they can be argumentative and lose their composure. They can be uh, provocative in a dispute, particularly if low in agreeableness. That's me. Wow. Um, this test is it's very it's good. A, I, I can yeah. tell. This is a good test. So Everyone it fit, should take it. It fits, right? Like <laughs> I'm going to have tell. to take this test. It's a good, it's really good. Okay. So then, and the, the way it gives you your information is so like there's, I'm barely reading anything. Mm. I'm, I mean, mm. this is like, I'm scrolling, Very scrolling, concise. scrolling, scrolling, mm. scrolling. And it tells you what it means. Like it gives you a percentile and tells you what upper, every time it tells you, it reminds you what a percentile is, what that means, you versus a hundred people, all of that. So I'm pretty high in openness. Um, 83. So people mm-hmm. high levels of openness are more likely than average to be characterized by others as smart, creative, exploratory, intelligent, and visionary. So this is my only saving quality for all of my negative qualities because a lot of them are like, if you're not smart, these will kill you. Um, oh they're highly interested in learning, continually acquiring new abilities and skills, curious and exploratory unusually interested in abstract thinking philosophy and the meaning of belief systems and ideologies. They will seek out cultural events, movies, concerts, dance recitals, plays, poetry, Uh, reading, ding, ding, ding. Number two. Okay. This is getting us to where we're going. Right. It's, it's working. Right. I knew, I knew it'd be worth it to pull this out because it's so like much information. How much more of this is here? We don't have very little. I think I might be in the last one. Um, and then, so then the last, I think this is the last one. The, this one is intellect. So I'm high in intellect. 78 per 78 is the score. Um, it says, don't confuse this with IQ. Intellect is a measure of interest in abstract ideas, essentially. While IQ is a measure of processing speed, verbal ability, working memory, and problem solving capacity, and is better measured with the IQ test, it is perfectly possible to have high IQ and a low score in intellect. People high in intellect are quite interested in ideas and abstract concepts. 
They enjoy being confronted with novel information, even when it is complex. They are substantially more conscious and exploratory than average and frequently like to tackle and solve problems, actively engage and seek out, yada, yada, yada. Oh, and then the last one is aesthetics, which I rank high in. 80 Mm. is the score on that. Um, Amazing. This says that it is... In the original Big Five scale model, the openness factor was entitled openness to experience, and its aspects were called intellect and openness. For the sake of clarity, we have deviated from this and use openness or openness to experience to refer to the factor uh, level trait and intellect and aesthetics to refer to uh, its aspects. Generally speaking, a person's aesthetic score reflects their creativity. People who are high in aesthetics love beauty. They need an outlet for their creative ability or they have difficulty thriving. They want to be surrounded by art or beautiful crafts. They are sensitive to color, architectural form, and they like to collect things. Yes, Imaginative, daydream, you. reflect, affect, uh, effective comparatively deeply by music, often by many genres. It may be musical or artistic themselves, blah, 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 blah. Both of these oh. are rare in the general population. They can get wow. thoroughly immersed in a book, a movie, their own thoughts, and become somewhat obvious to the outside world. So maybe that's what I would, we share. That's rare. That's in, I didn't know it was rare. That's interesting. Which one was that? That last one. The aesthetics. The, uh, I feel aesthetics. like. Well, I was literally a musician for a long time, but yeah, and I and we've talked about it before. Like our mom, our mother's mm-hmm. like highly, mm-hmm. uh, which is so revealed by like the difference between like your dad, my stepdad. And like, so that pairing, like mom is so into like, like we're half like, siblings and we have ex- separate yeah. dads. Yes. But we share a mom and our mom loves music and art very deeply. Deep, like really deep. Like it, she would score very high on that. And I think Robert would score low or average my dad. on that. Yeah. yeah. So he would just be like, yeah, it's a good middle, middle of the road. But whatever. your dad, what do you think your dad would score? Based on the description of, it's it wasn't that the one that said you need that to thrive, like you need an outlet for that, maybe, or was that the other one? That might have been the. Uh, I can't remember. I just encountered this information. Yeah, Sorry. I know. <clears throat> yeah, okay. I think aesthetics. Yes, so that was you have difficulty thriving without like an outlet for that. He does not strike you as a um he doesn't strike me as someone who needs that outlet but i bet mm. he would be i bet he would be average but on the high end of average so he loves he does love music he di- he does love like i know this is like such a sign of the times but he'll he like can really like a tv show like a series mm. he's an he oh you know what i totally am full of shit He's a complete and utter connoisseur of food and and cooking. Like that's his. That is his outlet. One hundred percent. And without, I think, without that, he would fail to thrive. Like so, I think that he is high. It just it looks very different because I he would be extremely high. Like he might be in the one hundred. Okay, you can't be, but he would be like ninety nine on the. the percent yeah on conscientiousness like extremely what is the word fastidious like extremely fastidious yeah fastidious yeah like way down to the grindstone so it looks weird to have someone who's like 
I have to have my creative expression and be in the kitchen and making art. And also I am 100% obsessed with like getting tasks done and being a conscientious member of the working society. So yeah, it's interesting. Corporate, yeah. Okay, anyway, anyway, take the test, the personality test, but this has all been a prelude to the questions that Mr. A has been writing about. And yeah, so why you just like, I've been in a thinky place? Why have you been in a thinking place? And why these questions? Are these questions always, <laughs> we always deal with these questions? What are the questions? God, I keep talking about it. Like, we're going to talk about it. We haven't said anything about it. Well, it's funny because now that I've read that, I'm like, oh, yeah, this makes perfect sense. Like, I don't even know if I need to think anymore. I'm like, I've just been like, uh, whatever. So I've been given like the the answer to that. That is the answer to your question. Why? Because I have that personality trait list. Like I, it, oh it perfectly details what this is. But yeah, so last time we talked, or it's either last time or the time before, because we've been having technical problems. The I started writing something and it was because of something that was said. And I don't know if it was in a podcast we lost or if people heard it or not, but I started writing the thing about, uh, I, we mentioned, I said, I, I, I said, there's no wood in the ground. And it was like a oh, poetic. Yeah. Yes. So it was like a that poetic. podcast is coming out. I've it's, I'm working on it. I will okay. at this point it will have come out. So, okay. Yeah. When, by the time this, I one had to repair yeah. the audio, so it's not the best audio, but it is an interesting conversation. That's the one where mine failed. Right. So that, that's gonna be me yeah. sounding kind of bad. Okay. Well, yeah, it's okay. Deal though. with that guys. It's okay. Yeah, it's fine. Well, I guess don't deal with it. Dealt with it. Cause it's already out. I um, know it's so confusing. Yes, it is. We're living in multiple time for, uh, timelines at one time when you do a podcast. Um, but you said the wood comes out of the ground. Where does it come from? It's kind of like everything's magical, alchemy, like things change form, and it's kind of amazing. It's beautiful. It's uh, very confusing also. My title for that thought writing experiment was Magic and Technology, Everything is Stuff Unless It's Things and There's No Wood in the Ground. It's a long title, but of course it is. Um, which take from that what you will. That's almost all that needs to be said from my perspective. That's the difficulty in writing is sometimes you have the thought and you don't know how much you need to formulate it. But the then we, we had our other podcast and then I was just experiencing life in general. And I started wondering, like a couple things came together for me that like made me think like I should write this. And what it ultimately what those things were together made me kind of like remember myself a little bit and like I went to college to do philosophy and psychology like it's so obvious that like I just want to think like I'm just stuck thinking about like things like like difficult things like that personality test just said I would be like I'm stuck on it I can't get away from it I have to do it right it's a good story and, too you like dropped out of high school got your GED it had been a couple years and then you were like I gotta go back to school but what for to study psychology, to do something useless and yeah. philosophy. I have to get my bachelor's. Yeah. In those I need subjects. a bachelor's a use a bachelor's degree in psychology, which you can do nothing with unless you get a master's degree, and a bachelor's degree in philosophy, which you could do nothing with even if you have a PhD. So I just, I just went to. back I to spend to money. I had to go think about. It. I needed time. And Jordan Peterson said that one time. He said, like, he pointed out how interesting of a, a phenomenon, like the college thing that we do is. And I think there's two versions of of Jordan Peterson even that would talk about that. Like there's one version of it, which is like, do something useful 
Like you definitely want, like maybe it's better to do like a trade school or do something like that. But also it's interesting that we have this whole time that we've like culturally, we like say, yeah, actually four or so, four or more years are available for you almost not all, like this is an idealized version, but to all, yes, right. Yes, yes. For all people to go just think and learn and explore and, and nobody in any like kind of common sense version of what we might think of as like a decent reality that wouldn't, you wouldn't allow for that, but we do, you know, we say, yes, we, we would, we would look down on people like that. Like, what are you doing? Just like but being idle and thinking, <laughs> right. It's not efficient. It's weird. It's very strange, but we do it. And I think there's something to that. And when you're not doing that in that experience, you like, as soon as you're out, if you're work. like me, you're like, yeah, exactly. You either go shop. to work or you're like, chop, I chop. miss that. <laughs> I want that time again. I want to be able to, to think some more and do some more. And, and yeah, anyway. So, anyway, so what were you these, thinking? Yeah. So I had uh, this experience where I, I thought, you know, if life was like a, if you had to like give a review, you know, w- you know, would go back to this restaurant, you know. 85 you know, years old on your deathbed, someone comes yeah. up, a researcher from Harvard, and they're like, all right, life, what's the review? Give us the review. And I think that I, you know, I, I didn't answer the question, but I asked the question, like, would, like, was it, you know, at this point here, for me even now, like, was it worth it? Like, do you like it? Like, would you do this again? Does this seem good? Like, what, like, and I, it started me thinking, like, I, I don't know if it's like a, it sounds like a, dep- like a depressive answer. Like someone who has like a, like a, like clinical depression would say like, no, I hate this. And I don't, I, that wasn't my answer, but it's like, you probably wouldn't even ask the question if there wasn't something weird a little bit, you know, like, I don't know. Like I, I have a lot of what they call existential dread, you know, like there's, it's such a, such an intense experience for me personally. And I don't think everybody has that experience. And from my perspective, I might say, well, you're not thinking about it or like, you're just ignoring the facts. But I mean, I would never suggest changing that about someone's self and saying, you should try to find the dread in existence. And then, so that was yesterday or a couple days ago. Yeah. Sorry. Can I just add? So that question, one, I think a lot of people would relate to that and be like, I also feel a lot of existential dread. I think everybody feels it to some degree, maybe yeah. more or more, less. So. These generations yeah. now, I think more young like our generation, especially. younger, like we're in a place now where things, I think that you will get a lot more people in that mind frame. And yeah. it is a younger thing. Like it's always a joke in philosophy that like you find the existentialists when you're young and you're like, oh yes, like uh, these guys who are, like literally just going, what is this? Like, what is this life? It's absurd. You know, like, uh, so you find like Nietzsche and Sartre and all these people. Well, I don't think too. Yeah. It's good to go straight to like college and you haven't even done anything or lived your life. And you're like, all right, time to study all this philosophy of like, you know, potentially like all these theories about what's important, meaningful. And you're like, you know, haven't really done anything, lived any life hardly. So well, we have such a protracted yeah. like adolescence now, too. Exactly. You know, so it's yeah. like you go into this place where I mean, like, like Cotton Mather's a guy from history, like whatever. He was like, I think I remember reading that like he graduated Harvard at thirteen or fourteen. Mm. 
you know, and now it's like, I just think of a 13 or 14 year old and I'm like, wow, that person is, if you were to say, this is an adult now, I'd be like, that person has a mental disability. (laughs) Literally. Yeah. You're like, that's a mental disability. If that's all the way grown up, like, uh uh-oh, like. Or society is messed up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What's going on? I don't know what, uh, well, yeah, we don't know what's causing, I don't know, like what, I don't, I I just kind of doubt that like Cotton Mathers would seem like, I mean, the guys who wrote the constitution of this country, like they were in their pretty young, yeah, 20s, early 20s. Like, can you imagine? Like, unbelievable. Unbelievable. So I can't, I would never trust early 20 year olds to write a constitution today. Yeah. So that just goes to show how different we are now probably because we don't know we weren't there Mm. but they weren't right they mean they knew words we like they just they could like people can't 14 14, 15 16 (laughs) they can't even write a paper that's coherent these guys formed a government and fought a revolution so yeah we're on tiktok we're just doing dances today and uh, yeah yeah oh doctors are doing dances on tiktok so that's even more concerning Anyway, no, back to the question, though. Uh, would you do it again? I think, so that aside, I think everybody has a little existentialism. I think, and my it's interesting because my knee-jerk reaction was like, would you do it again? I'm like, mm, maybe not. You know, it's like life is so hard, so much effort, and like, you know, it's like mm, you can be at peace when you die. But then I think I also had this immediate moment of reflection. It's like, yeah, but you have to really contemplate, like, what that would mean. Like, do you never want to have met your family and, like, the people that you love and, like, experience all the things that you find meaningful in life. And I think that that's like, if you're not like, if you never think about that, maybe that's a little more like you're a little depressive, you know, like you should really, <laughs> you're only focused on the bad things or something. I, yeah. I think there is a degree of that. Like, cause I've, like I've expressed multiple times, like uh, my great, my, all my turmoil, like most of it comes from like within myself. So mm. like even my, like I just remember being, and this is not something that's like disappeared for me ultimately, but it's like, it just expresses itself differently now. But like, even as a kid for extended periods of time in my life, like this, and I know this is common enough, so people get it, but like, it never left me, but like you, I mean, it did, it did leave me in this version. So like, but I remember like being so unhappy with myself that I would like cry myself to sleep and I would like want my mother there. Like she would just have to sit on the bed and it was like, I wanted, I needed that comfort, but like I could not get the comfort because she was external to me. And as, even as like a, like a young, young child, like I, I, I don't know if I could have articulated it at the time, but that is what it was. And I felt it at the time, basically explicitly, like this person isn't me. Like they say it's okay, but they don't know me. You know, they, they say it's okay and they're comforting me, but they don't know why I'm really as upset as I am. And if they knew, like, what would Mm -hmm. that mean? You know? So like, if you really knew like who I was inside of me. So then I think of the, like, like you were saying, like the people you love, uh, like, would you like to have not met them? And it's like, I would not that I don't want to have met them and to have like, have felt the love that I have for them. But it's like, I internally recognize that I can't find the right words. So let me say it wrong first, that they have that, like that they don't need to feel that towards me, basically. 
like that if you like you wouldn't you wouldn't like me if you knew me kind of that's like the kind of genre of thought basically God, like if you dark. if you it i and it's weird because i've so lived that though that like i it's i think it seems it probably is dark but i feel like i'm just i'm pretty good at like managing that feeling because i've had it literally like i'm not even complaining like you know what i mean like i don't want to be like oh i have like depression like i literally would be like i don't have depression like i just this is just the experience this is just what life is like since i can remember it's just this kind of weird internal uneasiness with everything and mostly myself <clears throat> and so i feel like like i feel like when we all die like if everything is revealed I dread that day and I, I almost hope I go to hell. Like that sounds horrible, but like, I almost oh hope God. I go to like, like, the, but let me put it Wild. in a different way. Cause people have a, a weird idea of that. Like, I almost hope that like, it just, everything just turns off, you know, or that the people that go on, like go on and they don't like, I want to go over there. Everyone else do their thing because I don't even want to confront my, I just don't want to continue to confront my internal self. I don't want that anymore. You know, like I'm just, by the time it's over, like I fucking hope it's over, which sounds dark, but I, and I think it sounds dark to most people. But if you're having the experience like I'm having, I think you just go, well, that's just what it is. Like I just, that's just what I hope for. I just hope it turns off. And if it doesn't, then I hope whatever it is is so unbelievably, so there's this thing in the Bible where it says something about like if you build it's it, there's lots of analogies like building structures like you build a house on a solid rock foundation versus mm -hmm. on sand or you build it and I and, the, and then you test it with fire and then all the things that are that are like basically essentially like impure you could do like a metal analogy too like you burn away everything that's not gold or you you burn away like the straw in the house and like if you've used too much straw in the clay then it crumbles right or the dead wood uh, you know, in the forest burns off and all the live wood is left yeah so if there's like a really intensely palpable version of that that really does like like literally happen like it literally like uh, some some thing I can't imagine is revealed that like, oh, by the way, like that none of like you weren't that the whole time you weren't who you thought you were like there there's like uh, it's I almost think about it as like I people don't like Kim doesn't like when I say this people don't like when I say this but like I've analogized as like having a demon, you know, like one day the demon is cast out and you go, oh, my God, thank God that wasn't me, you know, or like when you have a dream of yourself doing something bad and you wake up and you're like. Oh my God, I'm the worst person. And then you remember that was a dream. You didn't stab that person or whatever. Mm. You know, like you're like, oh my God, think the amount of relief that you get. Like that, that's like the magical level of like hoping it wasn't all real. That like I would be maybe satisfied with after it's all said and done. That like, oh my God, thank God. Now, let me put a positive spin on this because people think are probably gonna think this is so fucking depressing. It's really not like <laughs> so dark. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's interesting. There's a piece of me. So I've like wondered why I would have an experience like that and like not be able to relate to a lot. Like people don't. It's hard to explain that to someone and they go, I, oh, I really get that. Like, I totally understand. 
I think some so people I, would relate, but yeah. some people probably, but I think a lot of people that might relate would be, I wouldn't like them because they would be so depressed. Whereas I'm like not that depressed, really. They would be too, too much of a negative affect. But what I feel like it has done for me is it's, and some people have this, and I don't know where it comes from. I don't feel like it comes from the same place, but they still do have this like quality to them. But like, it makes me, which is what really bothers me about that thing that I just read, the one that really throws me off on that big five personality or the big 20 or however many there was there, is that I have low compassion because I feel like the opposite. Like, I feel like because I understand personally this, like, whatever I'm describing, that it makes it like I have what I, here's the, a poetic again, like something someone else has said before, but like sympathy for the devil kind of thing. Like I do rail against these like elites and these people who are doing bad things, but it, I also, there's a piece of me that almost understands all of that. Like understands everything. Like I, not like I'm a genius and I know all the things <laughs> in the world. It's just like, as far as like the human experience or human foibles and things like that, I'm like, I have a, some kind of, I think, almost like an unreasonable compassion if that's the right word or like well maybe there's a difference too to be drawn between empathy and compassion like empathy being like maybe you understand more than other people but maybe you're not motivated to act on that and rectify other people's situation because of your feeling your feeling of understanding because I don't accept it in myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, mm, no, mm. I, I'm i not saying like you you do bad thing. You should keep doing bad things because people do bad things. And I understand that. I'm like, we should plead for the extinguation of all that stuff. Like, I, we've talked about Tim Dillon's kind of perspective. Like, he almost does that on like a certain level with his whole like, hey, I'm, I'm this guy. I'm like, I'm the guy you wouldn't expect to have the opinions that I have. And people do like that. Like, I think there's a draw towards like, I'm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm LGBT or whatever you want to call me, but I'm not in your, I like reject your grouping. I reject your whatever, whatever it means to be that. I'm just, I'm not that guy. Like, I think almost like he's, he doesn't necessarily say, but he's almost like he's saying like, I'm wrong. What then? You know, like, you, it's, and it makes him almost like bulletproof in a weird way. And I think that it gives him a lot of haters, but it gives it, there's like a lot of people that like him. And I don't even think most people probably could articulate why they like him so much. They would just say, he's mm -hmm. really funny. Mm -hmm. He's good at ranting, but it's like, no, well, he's hitting on something. He's, he's doing something again, the magnetic change chains of Socrates. He might not even be able to articulate what he's really doing, but he's doing something like metaphysical with his behavior and his language and stuff. And it's not perfect. And he's not like the best guy that ever lived. He's just showing you something and you don't even know what he's showing you. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a weird, I don't even know if that's coming across the way I'm hearing it in my head, but mm -hmm. well, there's sure, something, there's something to there. It. Well, yeah, I think one of the things that makes great people great is like, they said this in the, actually the Darkest Hour movie about Winston Churchill, which is a person who's being pilloried constantly by the woke people who want to destroy Western ideals and great men. Um, but if you're confused about that, Winston Churchill was definitely a great man. Um, 
I mean, no man is perfect, but I think, I think, uh, well, you know, he rallied the country against uh, Nazi Germany when they were literally, this is like the whole story that's portrayed in The Darkest Hour. It's like they were on their knees and they're coming, you know, the Germans are right across the channel, uh, the English channel, and the British, you know, empire is considering uh, whether or not to make a peace deal with Hitler. And uh, and everybody tries to convince uh, the whole parliament and all these war council people try to convince uh, whatever Churchill that he needs to do that or whatever. And Churchill is like agonizing over this decision because he's like, well, that would reduce suffering. Like people would wouldn't die if I made peace. But he's like, but we can't make peace with the devil. Like you can't. There's no peace to be made with the devil. Um, there's no peace mm. to be made with Hitler. And so he ends up rallying the whole country to fight um, to fight Nazi Germany. And, you know, obviously they end up winning that war. But, um, but one of the things that I thought was really poetic about that movie was um, he says, you know, his wife says to him, like, what makes you strong is that you have doubts. What makes you wise is that you, you're, what makes you strong is that you, you're weak. And what makes you wise is that you have doubts. And um, I thought that that was so true. And I think those are the people like kind of like the Tim Dillon thing you're saying. It's like what makes that person worth listening to is that they recognize they have doubts about things. They're questioning. They don't really know the answers. And they don't proclaim to be like a god of some sort. And they don't think that they are they are God. Like they don't, they don't have a self-righteous take on the world or something. Yes. The, interestingly, on a much more mundane note, (laughs) the all in guys, the all in podcast, billionaire douchebags, just, um, we're talking about the, uh, what's that thing called? The, uh, Debates, the Republican debate thing, oh, the, yes, the GOP, primary debates or first whatever. presidential yeah. debate. <laughs> and somebody made some point that I thought was like, it was a good question. I can't remember who said it, but basically they were saying, I, I, I can't even say it like as well as they said, but basically where do you, like what is, they were, they were exploring the concept of like the president and his actions maybe and how that relates to like what the like the what the people want you know democracy versus going almost like kind of going against your your party for on like a really simple terms like what do you, when do you when do you just rise above that and have to go i have to do this other thing like though you know like even though nobody and I think they might have been maybe talking about the mm. context of like the Ukraine war or something. But oh, was this the consensus same... thing? Maybe. Well, I, someone I, said I to in the debate, um, I think uh, Nikki Haley says we need to get consensus around uh, abortion. And then Mike Pence responds, consensus isn't leadership. And I thought that they, they did talk about that in an interesting way because this is there is a tension there between – consensus and leadership because what Mike Pence makes it sound yeah, like that prob- is that probably is what like, it was. Like, I'm yeah. a dictator. Like we consensus isn't leadership. I'm gonna decide what what's right and what we should be doing. And that sounds like the opposite of democracy. It's like, um maybe consensus isn't leadership. Like that's philosophically true, but 
what you're saying in context is not – we're not talking about this philosophically. You're talking about like I should just be able to decide as president. Like and Nikki Haley's like, well, we really need to get on like what do the American people think about abortion? Like there are things that most people agree on and those are the things that should be represented in public policy and the things that are very contentious maybe should just not be policed. You know, like maybe we yeah. don't need policies for those things. And I don't know. But then – there's a question there too. It's like, is what do you do as a leader? Like, do you represent the people or do you represent what's right? And I think there's an interesting argument for like we've talked about like a monarchy. You know, like the monarch serves God and God alone. You know, he doesn't serve the people. And in that sense, like he's a righteous leader, but he's not a popular leader at all times because he doesn't always do what the people want. You know, but he has to do what he thinks is right for his kingdom for you know, his people in the end, ultimately. Yeah, um, it's like, the, yeah. it still is like, a, in a weird way, like, ultimately for the same people that don't want you to do what you're doing for them. Right. Which right. is odd. It's an odd, if that is your motive, that's the thing is like, I feel like this is, we're like, wow, we jumped away from what we were talking about. But like, <laughs> like the Mike Pence thing, it's like, you do wonder, okay, like, sure, we, we'll take what you said, like, there is a something, a distinction there that matters, but why we not, this isn't a monarchy. So why are you doing this? Wh who is it for? Like who, what is your motive ultimately? And I don't know, cause I don't know Mike Pence, but he does seem to be, um, a warmonger, dictator person. Yes. Type. Yeah. Deep state elitism. But there, I think there is at least a portion, very important distinction here. There's a part of him that that at least thinks he is like that is a part of him that's like he's informed through his faith, like he seems at least, or he justifies yes. it through to himself through this like, well, there's a greater thing here. So like, especially with the abortion thing for Mike Pence, I think that it's like. A right, like he thinks it's like a righteous, despite what you want to do, you just, from it's his wrong. perspective, you, yeah, sure. you just can't do that. Like it's just wrong. And that's, there's no way around that for him. And yeah. he, it sees maybe the distinction there where it's like, I get that people want to do this thing. They want to have their abortions as birth control or whatever. But we, that's just not right for our country. It's just not right for people to do that. And we just cannot abide. And that's an sure. interesting. Well, going back to the Tim Dillon thing, I think the thing that turns me off to it is like that person doesn't seem to harbor any doubts and doesn't. And that's the thing that makes it almost a little inhuman. Like you don't relate so to he it. Lack, like, he lacks the wisdom part. Or humility. Yeah, the humility right. that is necessary for wisdom, I think. And that's, yeah. So back to what you were saying along before. It's like, I think, you know, you talk about having a lot of inner turmoil. And I think, to me, I think that's a, a you know, high level of humility. And I think that if you don't have a lot of inner turmoil, you're not really being questioning everything you're not really being honest you're not really you know because what what do you have certainty about and I think if you start to really ask those questions and then because if you're going to act in the world you better be pretty damn certain about you know the reasons that you're doing what you're doing and I think 
if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, you better watch out. Like you better be careful because you don't know where that's going to take you. And I think that wisdom is recognizing that and really battling with those, wrestling with God, as Jordan Peterson would say. You're like wrestling over those things and constantly they, you know, eat you up because you really don't know. You're not God and you're not omniscient and you can't always get it right. And so, yeah, Yeah. but I think then the problem is that you get, you can get caught up in like the turmoil and the conflict. And I think Jung thought too, like, you know, like kind of what you were saying, it struck me as like, oh, there's like a demon inside me or whatever. And I think that a lot of people, like everybody has a shadow. It's like what Jung would say. Everybody has the dark version of themselves inside of themselves as well. And he was like, and that's the transcendent, you know, spiritual journey is to to completeness, is to reconcile the good aspects of yourself with the more negative aspects of yourself and see how those things are actually related is that the good aspects of yourself can't exist without the negative aspects of yourself. And there's some, yeah, interesting interconnectedness between all of this. And I think, yeah, the trap there is to identify with the negative aspects of self and then be immobilized by that or, uh, you know, depressed by that or uh, mm-hmm. put in a state of, yeah, uh, where you can't move forward. You don't see any, you don't have any hope or anything because you don't see how there could be anything good if those things, you know. Yeah. And I will say like to set the record straight to some extent, like, so the volatility aspect of my personality type is that it's not, this is like a, I'm very seasonal. So like, this is just now. And then soon I won't be, I may have unbridled optimism about everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, because that's the part, that's what volatility is. It's like, it's one way than another way. And I think there is a balance for me personally, at least between like, like, do you have, do you find so much humility that you stop expecting that you have any mark to leave behind and recognize kind of the scientific maybe point of view on some, on a certain level that like, you're just a speck, a dust moat that's insignificant. Stop worrying that like you have any impact versus all this intensity of experience what do I do with it? Do I put it down somewhere? Do I try to give it to somebody? So I think it probably draws out this propensity to be like, we should start a podcast. Oh, I should write this. You know, I should make a poem. I should write a song, (laughs) whatever, you know, where it's like, I got to, you want things to matter. So that what we never mentioned, which was the other thing that I was writing, not the thing about the tree in the ground or the wood in the ground, but that this, this question was, Uh, the more recent question was, you know, why would we live, why would, why would we live in a world or have a life that we can't understand? You know, and this is like following the, like, would you do it again? Kind of on your bedside. Right. That's kind of a similar, that's where, so I was thinking those thoughts. We never said what that culminated into, which was this thing that I wanted to express like in a written form, which is why would we, why would it be? that we are here and we don't know what the hell is going on. Like why, or at least for me, I feel like most people, if you actually queried them, they'd be like, uh, yeah, I don't actually, I'm not really sure what is happening. I, I don't know. We are born into a world and there's things to do and there's work that people, I mean, they just do things. And I was like asking this question as I was exploring the question, and this will get us back to where we thought we should start recording. So we started recording and then we just got really depressive and that was not intended. What we were trying to get at was, (laughs) 
we there's this question why would we be so confused and as i was exploring that this confusion of existence in general i i started trying to kind of formulate some of the common answers or what what are the answers to these questions surely they're out there people have tried over and over again religions whatever and what i what i realized is as i was kind of expressing those thoughts on paper i'm like oh even i myself am getting away from the the real question at hand because i started exploring okay well we have the, well, how about the Christian ex- example? God created the heavens and the earth. Well, here's a why, okay? Or here's a how come. It's not a why, because those are these are two questions that I think need or to be answered. at least a how. Right. So you have why and how come, and I think both are needed for like a satisfactory answer for a question of this magnitude. Like, And I started going, okay, well, there's a how, a how come. Well, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, I, I could accept that. In, a, in this world, that seems reasonable to me, actually. Like, that's probably, in fact, it's likely that I can't, that it's so kind of unfathomable that things exist at all. Like, even that a God would exist, that like that thing must be so unimaginably intense that it, that it, it did it, whatever it was. Like, it created, okay, I accept it. But it doesn't tell you the why. Cause then I ask, well, why would God do that? But then I realized, like, through this exploratory kind of questioning and trying to answer, that I had already gotten away from my own question, which is really what is interesting to me, which is not, why is there a world and how did it get here? It's, why don't I understand it? Why does nobody understand it? Why is it so difficult to understand? And that's the real thing that's so weird. Like, why would I be in a place... That is so difficult to understand. Why would I be in a world where nobody, everybody has an idea, many different thoughts and variations, none of which are copacetic, none of them go together and make a whole necessarily. And if they do, then the whole contradicts itself in so many ways that it it just becomes incoherent again. And so, as we were talking before, maybe the kind of ultimate conclusion ends up going down that road, which is that these, in a sense, are unanswerable or they're unanswerable. It is that confusing. And that actually is part of the reason. Like that reveals the reason that, because what what am I looking for? Is there some answer out there? Like, will, will I have to explore all of the different ideas and theories? And I started drawing this distinction between like, how we were I was raised at least like there's this Christian idea of the world there's a God and he made stuff and it's for some pleasure of his or whatever and then you have this canon of called the Bible that has all the information this is the accepted doctrine but then you have things that are unaccepted that are not in the canon that have not been bound in the book and these things include like the gospel the Gnostic gospels or the uh, and the categorization I think actually confuses the matter. So like maybe the Gospel of Judas is different than which is not in the Bible is different than the Gospel of Thomas, also not in the Bible. Both considered categor- categorically apparently Gnostic texts, but maybe they're not the same. They're both interesting, but in the Gospel of Thomas it says as we were exploring that the you know the returning of of Jesus like or of the son of god or whatever that means metaphorically or physically or whatever he says don't look to the sky you know he won't be coming on a white horse in the clouds because in that case the birds would precede you 
would precede precede humanity and 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 seeing it and knowing it and understanding it that doesn't that doesn't seem right and what the kind of culminating point there for the gospel thomas and making those analogies is that it's inside it's in you is the answer and i think that's exemplified like in my own seeking and struggling and suffering or whatever going where is the answer what is it out there what 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 do i do what do i think what do i believe and it's like how could it be anywhere other than inside of like each person right right like, which is interesting I, I just, because the question too the way you got away from it that's so like that like instead of asking why would we be in a world where i don't understand or where we don't understand it is like and you're immediately drawn to externally focused questions like, how did the world get made? And how is stuff? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And which which is interesting. And it's like, it's like titillating. And I think that's the whole thing. Like, that's what's so, that's why it's partially why it's so confusing. Because it's like, well, what are you doing? You're like looking for some book somewhere or some thought some other person had some time. But where, where would that thought have come from? It's as if... It's like this, It's it drew us even into like an evolutionary model or a Big Bang model. Like, well, well, let's just keep going back and let's see like where was that original idea, that original thing, that original seed of idea, philosophy, creation, something. Mm. And it's like, you don't know that. But if you did know that, would it stop you from looking at yourself? Because it definitely, not knowing it certainly makes you stop looking at yourself. Because you think, if only I could... doing soul searching, yeah. Yeah, if only I could get this answer over here. If only I found it in a hidden away, in a mysterious occult cave of some ancient order. If only, because they must have known. The ancient Greeks and all their philosophy, they knew. Look, look how interesting. Oh, the ancient pyramids, it's such a mystery how that got created. If only we could begin to understand that we'd know where we came from. We'd know who we are. And it's like, I don't know if... I don't think so. I don't, I, because I think it's ultimately unfathomable because you, you end up at that question that I ended up at once I went down that road far enough, I always come back to the same question. And I love to say it in French, but I'll say it in English. Why something instead of nothing at all? Why anything at all instead of nothing? Like if, if people do this mm -hmm. experiment, mm -hmm. you're like, what if, <clears throat> what is nothingness? And you think just a black, blackness, a void. Well, no, black is a color and a void is a thing. Okay, maybe it's just like a white room like in the Matrix. Like it's just this empty space. No, space is a thing. Space for things to exist in is something. Space for things to extend into is something. So it can't be that. Nothingness is unfathomable. And why then something instead of nothing? Because nothingness must not be even a real concept. It's not a real idea. Because for things to exist at all, something always was. And that's like when you get to those metaphorical, like very deep concepts of what God must be. It's like that which was, which right. is, and is to come. It's all the things forever, infinity. Another thing that's just really unfathomable. It's like everything doesn't exist because it's unfathomable, but nothing is maybe more unfathomable. And that things, in fact, do exist. And because you it's so clear that that's so incoherent and so impossible that something else it means there's that's the well, wrong question almost yeah i mean i think it's interesting that we are having this conversation like that 
it's even possible to be this confused about it. Like I think like in the way that we're talking about it, it's like it's so incoherent, you know, and you're like, but it's it may be that it's not actually incoherent. It's like the way we think about the world is just fundamentally out of whack with the way the world really is. And what's incoherent is not the world, but our thinking and our perception and the way we are is incoherent. And yeah, yeah, go ahead. I mean, we, what we talk about, I love to bring in something that totally deadens the conversation. So I will like the whole like <laughs> conversation <thing>. killer. <laughs> like, well, we're just where the world now is like hyper fixated on like the gender differences and do they exist? Mm. And is it that is what that ultimately is, is evidence of the, exactly the question that I'm talking about. It's evidence exactly of the utter confusion of what is real what isn't real, what things are, how reality is constituate, is uh, constituted, what, what even is, like, literally, again, what is even going on? And that is such an externalization of, and a manifestation of that very thing. Of, yeah. And it, 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 it scares me, ultimately, and I think this is why people, why it's been so effective to p- get people hyper-focused and hyper-fixated on it, is because... It's getting, it's so close to the, like the, the philosophical edge of fundamental reality almost as far as, as like, it's the most, um, detached you can get. It's literally, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like saying the most wrong you could get. Yeah. It's literally like recognizing that this, like this deep question we're asking that like things exist, like that, oh, existence is, so it's it's not that it isn't, you know, it's not nothing, it's something. And then going, no, it's nothing. Like they're actually nothing. (laughs) It's It's like, well, it really, it literally can't be that. You can't go any further. Yeah. Yeah. We're, so we're manifesting these bizarre and does that, what does that indicate? Does that indicate just how utterly lost and far from the, the truth, like big air quotes, truth, ultimate truth right, right. that we, we, uh, we possibly could like, we're, that's just like just definitely the wrong direction. Well, I had this story. So we were hanging, uh, just driving this weekend and, uh, we were talking about like mushrooms or something and, uh, Michael was like, well, you know, I, uh, you know, cause researchers would talk about how people have psychotic breaks after psychedelic experiences or whatever. It triggers, you know, schizophrenia or triggers bipolar. And Michael was like, you know, I'm kind of afraid of that. And, uh, I was like, well, why? Like I, I guess, and I was like, and I don't, I could just be totally wrong, but I kind of naively just don't really believe it could happen to me or like really believe it could happen if it wasn't already like you weren't already on a trajectory toward those things like I'm kind of like well you those are like patterns of thought and behavior and like you would have had to have already had that going on and then like it could trigger it literally like you just went off the edge or something like you were heading toward the edge and then you just jumped off um but he was like no like he was like what scares me and this was really interesting to me because I just totally I had never thought about this way but he said you know, I've met a schizophrenic person and it was so wild and so authentic. Like he was like, I didn't feel like they were, you know, acting or anything, but it was so interesting because he was like, I felt like they kind of knew 
that they were not in right, like messed up. And he was like, but I felt like they were like, I can't go back to what you are experiencing because this is like a legitimate form of experiencing the world for them was like, this is a way to be. And I was like, and then he said at this point, he was like, you know, cause like, what if, obviously this is crazy, he said, but what if that's like a legitimate form of being a person? Like that is a just fine, very natural, totally normal way to experience life is to be schizophrenic. And he's like, the only reason we don't think that is because it's not socially normal. Like it doesn't align with our socially constructed reality, like society and like getting a job and having a career and like doing all those things. And he's like, but it could be that that's like a fine way. And that really got me thinking and made me think about what we just said, which is like, maybe we're so incoherent. Like it's not that you know, reality is incoherent, but like the way we are is so incoherent with reality. And I was like, and then you can think about, I don't know, it just brought up that schizophrenia thing to me. And I was like, that is an interesting thought to think about, like, what is really going on there? And like, is that a legitimate way to be? And if that's a legitimate way to be, like, how different are we now, the way we behave and whatnot and think about the world? How different could that be? Like, really, what is the extent of the spectrum there? Like, because it could be really wide you know like the difference between how we are and how we might should be could be like a huge chasm you know (laughs) yeah i mean that makes me think of a couple different theories one is the i think the book was called it's by someone i think named jane jay's i think it's called the bifurcation of the bicameral mind or something and that so like especially in like old religious i think it's gotten pigeonholed as religious texts it may not have initially been religious texts or religious stuff maybe what people seen started that when it was first written or something right like so they would say things like i heard the voice of god tell me blah 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 whatever and the question for us now being so departed from that way of thinking and non we don't believe anybody heard the voice of God. That doesn't make any sense. And if you do believe that, you're like a religious fanatic, right? Or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like if you really believe the Bible and really believe what those prophets said, then you're just okay, fine. Like, whoa. But <laughs> what that might have been, according to Jan Jay's, was that this was the This is an evolutionary explanation, so I don't buy it, of course, but that like as the mind, we have two lobes of the brain connected by the corpus callosum. Right, the left and and right hemisphere. Right, and they communicate. And that before that was fully made manifest, that... Before we had two distinct lobes or something. Distinctly, we and we we began to become uh, familiar or not familiar, that's the wrong word, we begin to experience the sec- the other lobe, the splitting of the, the mind, that we, that the mind began being capable of talking to itself, of hearing, to Asking having questions its own, and answering its own questions. Noticing thoughts, noticing questions and going, oh, where did that come from? I had a thought. I had a question. I had an answer. I'm having this, I'm talking. I'm talking. I, I talked before, now I'm, I used to talk to people, now I'm talking to, well, we didn't have an idea of, I'm talking to myself, maybe, that didn't originate, maybe it was, well, 
Where did you, I, I think we should do this. Why do you think that? I think we should build the house on rock instead of sand. Why? God told me. What's God? I don't know. I heard mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. He said it from the he- come from the heavens or something. It's in my mind. I, I heard it. It was like a rumbling. It was like a, I could hear, oh, this guy. And then we do it. And then you have a house on a rock and then it doesn't get, it doesn't wither away as quickly. You go, oh, God was right. He must be telling the truth. This man is speaking to God. And so you have, this is like this theory. And mm-hmm. certain aspects of that theory have been debunked. But certain aspects of that theory are really interesting and very possible. Something I don't I don't like when things are wedged into an evolutionary model. But it you don't have to have evolution to to not have enough concepts developed to describe it the way we describe it now. We've created concepts to go, oh, that's the mind. We're talking, you know, it's not really talking. We're just it's thinking, it's thoughts, it's chemical processes, electrical impulses, and you no, we can actually see parts of the brain that have auditory, you know, capabilities do kind of light up when you're right. having thoughts. Oh, da, da, da. we just so totally we've so far away the from miracle them. of what is, right. how is it possible that you can ask questions and get the answers in yourself? Like, and we've, and that, inside. yeah, that question led us. And ultimately that question, what's funny is that that mystical question leads us to discovering the answer, which we get closer and closer to discovering through our quote unquote sciences but then b- the more we discover, the less we're impressed with it, the less interesting it becomes somehow to so many people. Or we understand it through such a physical understanding that we decide that it's not interesting because it's physical. And then we end up in like the 1700s or the 1600s, the 1500s, where we're trying to, f- we have philosophers trying to figure out even if, is everything material or is there uh is it, you know, uh, does there a dualism to the world or is it all just physical stuff? You know, and we and we've picked some we've picked an answer. It's all physical because every time we think something interesting is going on, we try to find it and we find a physical explanation. But there may literally be a duality. And just because you don't see that other thing, because that thing can't be identified because it isn't physical and your sciences are physical sciences. So there's this conundrum that confuses scientists and confuses philosophers and makes them think, especially the famous ones, the Dan Dennett's, the Sam Harris's, that it really is all physical because we just keep finding physical things, physical explanations. And that means it's physical. And it's like, well, you could never develop a physical tool to measure the non-physical. So how do you know there's not this other thing? Because even then we have like the kind of woo woo mm-hmm. people are like, oh, well, there's, we're magnetically affected and, you know, you know, all phenomenal the qualia experiences radi- that you yeah. have that don't correspond to physical states or, or free. We go or frequencies and da, 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 da. But, yeah. and then my argument is, well, by the way, that's physical. So that's still a physical explanation and you can measure it with physical tools. So. That may be still true. There may still, I can do magnetic stuff to the brain. I can stimulate it with electricity. I can use EMFs, ULFs, and it does have an effect, but we're still missing the the fact that, again, I think if we lose track of like why something rather than nothing, kind of the ultimate, it's this thing someone said once, 
like about kind of science, you know, it's like, give me one miracle and I'll explain the rest. And that is all of science. That is all of our understanding of everything. It is give me the first miracle. I'll explain everything else. And we're really, really good at that. Like we really can do that. Like what we do, Mm -hmm. what we're doing right now is amazing. I've got this thing hooked up to that with cables and the fucking computers hooked up to the air and going to that and going to a cable and then going back into the air. And it's like, what does that even, I doesn't even make sense. I don't even, it doesn't, but it's, we did it. <laughs> That's real. So like it, there, we're so yeah, good at yeah. doing that. It's amazing. Now, the other thing that it makes me think back to your schizophrenia idea, uh, this book is not about this necessarily, but I think Michael is such a thinker anyways, mm-hmm. that he would like this book. And it's called The Voices Within. I've mentioned it before. It's by Charles Fernihow. And it it is taking an interesting perspective on schizophrenia that is kind of like what he's saying, like going, well, well, what is that, though, exactly? We just went, oh, disorder, problem, issue right. going on. Which but it is one of guy, the most, like, you know, just obvious like if any mental disorders exist like that one is real like i just well there's like there no way around yeah. it. it's like you talk about depression i'm like i don't really know that depression is real like where is depression not depression? right but you definitely know the difference when you're talking to a schizophrenic person versus not a schizophrenic that's person. why i would say that it, that's why i think that he would like it because because he because there is there there is it, like what you're saying like it's very true there like, is when you're something talking to going and on there, and there and there is a part – I've talked to these people too. There is a part of you that goes that, – that like Michael can like think deeply and go, well, how much of an issue is this and what makes it such an issue? Is, is it the norm normative world that makes it an issue? And outside of that, maybe it's not as much of a problem as it could be if, if more people were like that. But – the thing about schizophrenia that kind of throws a wrench in that is that the schizophrenic thought patterns are very, sometimes they're very interesting. You know, they're hearing voices, they're seeing things. Right, there's even variants in schizophrenia. But there's also like a level of schizophrenia that if you, if you don't know about schizophrenia, you'd, and you just, and you were really gullible, you just believed everything they were saying. There are things that would come up immediately not immediately, but quickly where you're like, okay, what you might first think is this person is having an interesting experience, but they're also stupid. You know, like they're also not every schizophrenic, but like a lot of times, like there's something, there really is a problem with the pattern of thinking or the way that their own thoughts will like contradict themselves or tell them to do terrible things. Kill your, kill your sister. OCD is like that real people all over the place going, I have OCD. Listen, if you've never been clinically diagnosed with OCD, you don't have OCD. Like OCD is actually, it's really debilitating, debilitating, unbelievably difficult because what it, what goes with the obsessive compulsive is intrusive thoughts that you don't want to have. And they're like, throw your baby, throw it, just drop it. Just let go. Just let go. Just let go. And that really fucks with people. Like they can't, they, that's an obsessive and compulsive thought that they can't let go of. And what those people experience is they're absolutely terrified. They're going to do it, that they'll let go of the baby, that they'll listen and they'll throw the baby or something. Or it's the same with like turning on and off lights Mm -hmm. and washing the hands. 
Like they're washing the skin off their hands, you know, because they're like, oh, there's germs on my hands. It's it's an intrusive, un yeah. unmanageable situation. So <clears> that's <throat> what that is. And you'd come across things like that with schizophrenia that are like, whoa, this is really intense. However, this book, uh, The Voices Within, does explore the idea that schizophrenia is actually you have to read it. I've read it a while back. It's hard to remember everything, but it, it's basically there's a premise that's sort of like this is actually just thinking. Like this is just this is what the brain does. Like it's everyone's doing this. Some people have a little more going on than others. But again, with our physical sciences, you can put these people in a brain scanner and sometimes despite reality, they're hearing something. Like the brain scan says so. It says there's mm. they're hearing something. It it has conversational qualities to it. And then when you compare that to real thinking, it's like, hmm, that looks so similar. It mm. look when we're thinking like that's conversational. Like so, there's the, that's kind of the Jordan Peterson concept of like, what is thinking if it's not talking? It's words. It's right. language. You know. It's like. Yeah. It Free is speech. so. There's a, yeah. So there's a quality to that, and and that might bring us full circle back to like that horrible opening of depression. But it's like there's a like <laughs> gotta go through the darkness it, to get back to the light. Exactly. What if you called it a demon? That's just another word. I don't know what a demon really is. We think demon means like evil. Like this is what we think demon is. You know, like this is the demon. Oh it's like, but it's, like it's not some like <laughs> skulls and ram horns and Satan and child sacrifice. That might be some version of a demon, but what is it? It's like a thing. It's, it's affecting us. It's controlling us. It's making us think things we don't want to think, do things we don't want to do. Not like Paul says, that which I want to do, I don't do. That which I wish I would not do, I do that anyways. Why do I do this? And he says, therefore, it's not me, but it's something else. It, and then we go, that can't be true because it's not anything else. Well, sure, mm -hmm. call it whatever you want to. Call it the voice of God or your own thoughts. But again, that stuff actually may be more true or just as true as the physical science. Because look where the physical sciences lead us. It's such a confused realm. Yeah, like, well, I mean, you like, have people like, like Yuval Noah Harari recently saying on Twitter, he literally said something like, well, anything that's possible is natural. And so it's a farce to say that anything is unnatural. And so you shouldn't prohibit anything that's possible because that's natural or something was like yeah, the argument. Philosophers call like, that like, what? I think the hell? I think philosophers call that the naturalistic fallacy or literally. something that like, if it's natural, like to, it's a fallacy. So it's like, it means it's wrong think. But if it's if it's uh, natural, it's good. Like philosophers hate that argument. Real philosophers, they're like, no, that doesn't mean that's like, because right, then you're exactly. like, well, you could eat people, like you could chop. That's up a really sophisticated form of the naturalistic fallacy, actually, because you're like everything it, is it, natural, so everything is good. And then Jordan Peterson tagged on, and he was like, oh, right, so yeah, serial abuse of children is possible, so that's natural, so it's good, so it shouldn't be prohibited. Is that the argument? Right. Like <laughs> what? And that's a point you made before we brought up, started recording, but like, we were like, what about animals? Like, it's another, it's like a thing to observe and to try to help us understand ourselves. Mm. But there is something so different. Like we were saying, like baboons and bonobos, like they're very similar 
to humans in so many ways. I mean, they're very informative for behavior. However, sometimes uh, they shit in their hands and then they throw it at other monkeys' faces. Or they rip the arms off of other monkeys right. and other tribes. Or, yeah, it's just wild. You're like, what? What? That's not yeah. right. That's not. So if you analogize them to like, well, you're like, they're 99% like people. And I'm like, um, the gap is a little bit larger than 1% considering it would be really wild if a human ripped another human's arm off, you know, just like, and then went on with their life. Like nothing, you know, just no problem. Just that's. Yeah. Fine. And I will say this, this line of thinking that I've been having lately, it made me really reconsider our episode on the ID compensation because one of the things that came back up for me again was like, I, I, and I don't think that the, and maybe there's like, a, I have not looked at this research enough to know if there's like a version of it that's, that's developed enough to where I would actually go, yes, that's actually more true. So I don't know. Like, it's a large I don't body know. of research and it's so, it's contentious. Not everybody buys it in psychology and it's a, it's a meta any of so the, Any of the alternatives to other theories. Right. Yeah. But, and, but the other alternatives that we were like, oh, maybe these aren't so much, but like even those have their own versions of like this researcher thinks this and he disagrees with this part, but this one's full fledged going hard in the paint, you know, right. but there, it made me think like, I started kind of going back to the, what, what did you call it? What, what was that? What were the main uh, one example we kept using oh, life versus um, afterlife experiment. No, the there was icon? a, Oh yeah. What, what was the other theory called in that, that they were testing for? Oh, the where you're afraid of dying. Basically everything, everything we do is about terror management theory, terror management. That's it. So that everything and that, I mean, it's called, it's talking about life and death, but they literally termed it the right thing. It's terror. It's ex they could call it existential dread theory. Like <laughs> we have the propensity to have this absolute dread and horror of our own understanding, our own existence, that bicameral mind, God telling us you're going to die, whatever that is. I know I'm going to die. I don't know what that means. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't even know how stuff is real. Whoa. Like that's to me seems very possibly a more parsimonious explanation than now we talked about mm -hmm. pieces mm -hmm. of that theory that don't really work for me. Like, Oh, it's about worldview. Maybe. I mean, what we do to fix that is very much associated with worldview, but that's a tertiary thing. The real thing still is the terror. This, the motivating force may literally still be like, this place is there's remember that song that that white Jewish guy rapper made. It was called, I, it, uh, Ryan sent it to me one time or showed it to me, but one of the lines in his song was earth go hard. Like an alien was like looking at earth and it's like earth go hard, man. It's like, yeah, earth go hard. Like this place is wild. And I'm of the, this is why I'm like space is fake and stuff. Cause like we're here. Okay. We're on this planet we probably we've never been to the moon probably even if we have well we don't go i guess there's nothing interesting out there so fuck everything else this is all reality as far as we know is right here and that really calms the nerves that simplifies yeah. things a lot you know oh my god i was like, i think that. that's why the, had... the flat earthers have like a a vibe one vibe is crazy the other vibe is that's a nice theory i like that like i like going this is everything right here. It's one plane. This is where everything exists. Now you can calm down and figure this out. Like yeah, if this no. is it, and you, then it's much more happy in a weird way. Well, yeah, I was going to say I had this interesting experience talking about like existential dread where I was like laying on the floor um, 
And I just was like, had this. <laughs> That's where you have those like, feelings. <laughs> literally, yeah. I was like doing a workout, and I was just like laying on the floor afterward. And then I was like, you know, like the present isn't going anywhere. You know, like I feel like there's this constant drive to like forward and then reflection backward and then just this constant like motion that you feel like you're in. And then just realizing like everything is here right now and the present isn't like slipping from moment to moment. It's like it's just constant. It's always there. There's it's only the moment. durable. Yeah. yeah. And that, it's like time, like the past and the future. It's like even if those are real concepts, they you they're never available ever. They're never right, really right. there. You because once you get to the the past is obviously gone, and as soon as you get to the future, it's not the future anymore. It's always the present. You only have the present. It's right. weird, right? Yeah, but to the monkeys thing too. So that was the other thing I wanted to bring up. It's like. You know, thinking about all these questions like why why would we not know why we're here or something? And, you know, one of the things I thought earlier was like, well, you know, part of it is just that thing. It's like the consciousness, kind of what you were saying. It's like we're aware of our own experience and that's what makes us characteristically different than other animals. And then also the difference between like adults and kids because I was like, well, maybe like part of the solution is like kind of like naivete, you know, like kids just do what they do and they don't really – worry about, you know, they don't have the depth of experience that like adults do when you're like contemplating everything. Not that that's like the solution to that. It's like, just be naive. Um, I, and I think to that point, the solution, you know, if we take the argument that I was taking earlier, it's like, maybe the solution is just, you have to be, is being. It's like the way you are is the solution. Like you like acting out ways to be that jive with the world, you know? And if there's a large discrepancy, then that causes conflict and tension. And yeah, maybe it's just the answer is like, uh, is being the right way? Because that's, I don't think the question is like, is why is reality so incoherent with us? It's like, well, maybe we're really incoherent. Like maybe we're not yet coherent with reality, like the way we are. And that's a, a pattern of ways to behave and think and and be. And those are, you know, choices and things we will um, and that's what makes us different than, you know, animals and children is that we are willing things. Like we're willing a society that has systems and organizations and social norm. And, you know, it's like all that's not – it doesn't just exist. Like it has to be willed. And that's kind of like the Yuval Noah horizon. I think that's where it goes wrong. It's like, it's like, well, it's possible, so it's natural, so it's good. And it's like – but not all things that can be willed are good or even – like that's like a moralizing word, but you could also be like, or real even like in some final analysis, like they're not real. Like they can't, they don't exist. Like they have to be maintained and that makes them somehow less durable, somehow more ephemeral and less real, like literally. Um, yeah. You think about the, um, like the tribal people that still exist, like the untouched yeah. civilizations. And it's like, you, we all know that if an extinction level event, there's two thoughts here. One is if an extinction level event happened, everyone knows that the people who most likely to survive are those people. Why? Well, I think of them a lot like cats, which is not a <laughs> demeaning th thing to say. It's like no. I look at the cats outside and they're like, they, like w when they're tired, which is a lot, they just sleep. When it's hot, they hide in the shade. When it's night and it's cool enough to come out, they come out. When they're hungry, they eat. When they're bored, they catch a butterfly. You know, they're just doing the moment all the time. And they survive just fine. 
Some are a little better than others. Some have some advantages that others don't have. That's variation that exists in the human populations as well. Now, here's another aspect of it that's also very obvious and that you might be irritated that I didn't bring up, but here's the point. We live on a... They, this is true of the cat people as well, but th we live in a far more artificial environment. So mm -hmm. an extinction level event for us is literally like the power goes out. Where are you going to get your food from if it doesn't end up in the grocery store? You don't even have a yard. You live in a building on the top of the 108th floor. You're fucked. Like you have, like that's an extinction level event. It's we're so this whole artificial world envi artificial environment that we live in is highly uh, volatile with thousands and thousands of single points of failures. And the only thing that would ever work, give us a workaround for those is the human moment, the mo the present moment of that time and the human ingenuity and what scientists would call the survival instinct to break out of the way we have been doing things and just start doing it a different way immediately. You would have to think on your feet. If there's farmers with a thousand pounds of corn, they would have to immediately figure a new way to work that out and they'd have to give a shit to do it. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. they're immediately back to the moment, immediate fix to this terrible problem. And so there's another piece of that puzzle, which is if you create it, and I don't know if we did this on purpose or they did this on purpose, but if once you create a society with such an artificial environment, basically you become what that means and why that's so dire is that now we're dependent on that environment that isn't really very close to the true environment anymore. In really any right. sense of the word. Well, this is so and interesting. And that creates a control mechanism too. Like if you have, mm -hmm. if you pull the levers of that, then you can kind of do whatever you want. And that's also terrifying. Yeah. And we should make that point explicit because I think that you can hear that and it often gets portrayed that like that's a naturalistic fallacy. It's like, well, it's wrong because, you know, like it's not just better that it's natural. And I'm like, it's not, you're kind of missing the point when you say that because it's really that it's true. Like the things that are true, like if you just approach truth as like durability, like the most true things are the things that withstand the test of time that will be stable, constant, like that's true. Then an artificial society, one that has to be maintained is not true. Like a, a more natural, like durable way of living would be more true. And And that's like a really deep, I think that's the beginning of like a deep insight where it's like, Oh, it's not like that living more naturally is like just a better way. Like it's not like, ooh, right. ooh like it's just it's better to do this. You right. know, it's like, no, it's like it's more yeah, true. And you don't even appreciate the reality of that. And we, because and this is like the it's this is a great podcast, by the way, except for the beginning. But this is very much so like the Jacques Ellul technique manifest over and over and over again to the nth degree is that the environment we've created to live in is like a machine. And it requires an infinite amount of technicians, high mm. level, we call them high level, high skill technicians to maintain that machine at all times. It is. It requires constant, constant motion and motion, not just by anybody, but by experts, technical experts at every little piece. And George Soros is 
high up in the food chain as that guy is doesn't actually have all of the technical proficiency of every person underneath him. So he even that mm-hmm. even that is a facade of control, really, ultimately. It's only control like within that artificial environment when it's being maintained. And we've just I mean, we had to invent the five day work week. We had to invent timekeeping, like mechanical oh, yeah. timekeeping yeah. in order for all of this stuff to even work at all. We had to create time zones. We had to create all of that's artificial. And that's not, again, like you were saying, it's not, it's not the problem. Like the problem isn't that like, well, it's artificial, so it's bad. No, it's like, it's, it's complicated and it's, it's so intense and maybe it's actually good, but not if, uh, not if we all become, uh, dependent and complacent and isolated, you know what I'm saying? Like we're, yeah. So we just, we're, we're. Utterly dependent on other people, yet we're more isolated from other people than we could ever imagine versus the hunter gatherer or the tribe. They are not isolated from each other at all. They probably all sleep in like a hundred people in five tents. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) they're, they're not as interdependent on each other. I would argue as we are on each other, yet we don't know our neighbors. So it's a very, very bizarre situation that we're in. And that's the problem is that it's just, it's just, yeah, I don't know if we ever stopped to think about what we were doing. Like well, we I were like saying, progress on progress forever. Right. Yeah, I like your point too about like the the power because I had that thought recently too. Like it's like an illusion of power because you don't really have all the technical skills needed. Say you're the CEO of a company, you don't really know what the engineers are doing and the the designers and the coders and the you know marketers and all the finance people, the legal people. Like all of that is so complicated. Like one person can't know all of that. And then it, you start to really realize that, oh, like power like kind of is an illusion and they really do need these other people. Like it's not like, oh, those people just have power. Like they are reliant on the other people under them, the technicians or whatever you want to call them, like to do what they're doing. And then I had this thought. I was like, you know, like evil men in the archetypal stories always have henchmen, you know, like they always have henchmen and they have no power without the henchmen. And then I was like, just don't be a henchman, you know, like don't serve a evil person, you know? And, And I thought that was so interesting because I was like, you know, it is kind of like, it's, you can think it's, oh, it's so dire. Like all these elites, like trying to control everything, put down these COVID mandates and lockdown society and like global government and whatever. And then I'm like, but that level of control is, is literally like a facade. Like it, can't be maintained without hundreds and thousands of henchmen, you know, like people actually making it manifest. Like just a few people can't do shit, you know? (laughs) And that, what the craziest thing too, is that that relationship goes two ways. So like, like the henchmen, like the mercenaries, they don't, they don't even have to know just like the, the top of the food chain can't, can't, I mean, not can't, but just doesn't really know the intricacies of what is going on below. It's like, go fight this battle for me. Go make this happen for me. Okay. But in the reverse, the henchmen don't know, can't possibly know the ultimate, whatever is going on at the top. They don't, they don't even need to know that. And that's this weird fallacy people Mm -hmm. come up with like conspiracies. Well, how could everybody keep it secret? No, how dumb are you? That's not how it works. It's not, it doesn't work like a bunch Mm -hmm. of secrets and a cabal. I mean, so there's some cabals, but like, 
the guys doing the work don't just like the guy commanding the work doesn't know what the work really really is and they couldn't do it requires yeah that goes the other way too the guys doing the work may not really know the ultimate the ultimate motive of the even the work they're doing they just Right. Because that's not where they are. They're here and the other guy's there. They don't have time and to again, think about it, those things. They're not involved in those things. Yeah. And and maybe that lack of consciousness is part of the problem. It could be like like you were saying, like, why do the work of evil men? It's like, well, maybe you don't know they're evil men. Well, it's like, well, maybe then think a little bit. You know, maybe that's right. what we have right. to become conscious and look look within or something, look somewhere to figure out how to avoid that because that's the beginning processes of this hyper technical hyper complicated society where everyone's dependent on one another but nobody knows who the other people really are you as the as the army that fights for the king and you're a private you know first class private you don't get to know the king you don't get to eat at the king's table he might pay you you might get a big <laughs> paycheck better than you could find somewhere else but that's a disconnected relationship that's a connect a relationship mediated by by credits by dollars by coins and that's that's uh very imaginary and un- untangible and actually requires a whole society based on those coins meaning anything to the guy that you're going to give the coins to to get the things you're going right. to get you know this right. it just emerges this huge that's complicated ID compensation all those emerging. contingencies yeah so many it's it's wild like it it really again back to my writing like what that's a whole another level of like why don't we understand what's going on here? Like, we don't even know what we're doing hardly. We're all doing it though, at, like expertly, like really well, but it's so mm. wild. That and is I, an interesting I mean, aspect. It's like, it's not that we don't know what we're doing in like the, it's almost like a, you really do mean it in a deep sense. Like we don't know like what we're doing, like at a deep sense, like, because we do know quotes, what we're doing. Truth. Yeah. At like a literal sense, like people know expertly. It's like literally incredible. Almost. <laughs> You're like Incredi- how, incredibly. How well do we all doing. organize it? Like, how do people know? Like when I call the company to get this thing done, like someone comes and like has all the requisite knowledge to like fix the little thing in the system and to like maintain this all, you know, it's like, whoa, <laughs> like that. Yeah, how do we wild. organize this? And yeah, it is. It's just, I don't even know. I don't know. I have no value judgment, really. Ultimately, I see pitfalls where I'm like, I don't know if this is good. But like, clearly, to a certain extent, this kind of global society has created the, at least and up until very maybe recently, it's created the ability, like there's a reason hunter-gatherers don't have billion people populations spanning over entire continents like we do. Right. Or if that number is even true, but we have a lot of people. I mean, even just the city to maintain the amount of people in it is like way beyond the capabilities that someone living a different way could do. So this system has done something. It's given us in a lot of ways an abundance. It's given us fat homeless people. You know what I mean? Like fat poor people. Like it's really a, it's a real interesting thing. And maybe we're, Maybe, uh, again, like that, that non-physical world is, is out of, it, it needs to like resynchronize or something here where we're at, you know, our, our limit our, or something, uh, our wits, in, our collective wits in the, the, hang on, proverbial, our proverbial wits end where 
uh-oh, now we want something that that all in podcast really revealed a lot of this in, in, a, in a weird way. Like if you could see through the lines, it's like someone pointed out, like we had think of like the types of presidents until Obama, like Bush, Obama, uh, Trump, Trump, <laughs> Biden, you know, it's like, and now where are we going? Are we going to go Vivek RFK? So, like where, like things are, people are getting, are getting different now, you know, like things are getting different and it seems like there's going to be some kind of fourth turning, like a resynchronization of, of reality, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like this doesn't like, this is, this doesn't match and we got to make it all match up again. And I don't know what that means, but it seems like it, something's like they say something's got to give like something does have to give and people point to different things that might give out like is the economy going to give out is the political structure going to give out is the country going to give out is the world order going to give out what's going to give something seems like it's right there ready to like someone just has to go to their browser and hit refresh and reload this page and see what's still there and uh i think a lot of people are noticing that Mm-hmm. and readying themselves i mean the whole scamdemic like what was that about we were i mean we were hyped up on like everything from population I mean, size to like supply chains like people know we got to make sure stuff those power brokers know like we got to make sure things are in order for what well it also uh, woke people up on the <laughs> other side too i think a lot of people for the first time became aware of how fragile our society oh, yeah. is, like how contingent it is on so many things. And just one little thing, like a disease that like is basically just a bad cold can just utterly destroy this system, you know, has the potential to utterly destroy the system. And that's wild. That's wild. And I think a lot of people were like, that was a wake up call to be like, we can't keep going that direction. Like, that's not good, you know, like, and the the solution is not like more systematization, you know, like the WHO and the CDC and global vaccine passports. Like, I think a lot of people are like, um, that's too complex. Like people need to be more independent and autonomous. And like, we don't need to be reliant on all these things. That's crazy. Next time someone catches the flu, I can't be worried about whether or not there's going to be food at the grocery store. That's, I can't live right. that way. It's crazy too, because it was all so much, and there may be a point here somewhere that like that was so much of that, especially now, at least the story go, as the story goes, was all human action. So like the same people who were like commanding you to like do this and do that, wear a mask, get the vaccine, shut down, or the same people, it appears that probably made the virus like funded you know what i mean it's like so we like we're we're in a place but it's all it's all people acting in ways that are not Mm. right you know or whatever however you want to couch it in moral terms and and pragmatic terms whatever but it's like hey everybody like and from top to bottom there was reaction everybody reacted maybe in different ways, but like it changed a lot. Like just seeing that happen was like, you got the guys in the bottom. Now we have three 
like anti-establishment country songs at the top of the charts for all genres and they're like railing against the machine and then we have the machine at the very top also like flailing around doing you know their their antics and their version of a panic and their version of reorganizing reorganizing like everybody got into motion and now we're in this place and we'll just have to see what happens i guess yeah well like i said you know the present's not going anywhere and uh but yeah and look within things change things change the present's always changing in some sense yeah yeah that yeah that was the depth of that thought i think is like things everything is always present and it's just changing, you know, it's changing form, you know, things move from one, you know, one form to another, like water, you know, going from the rain to the river to the ocean and evaporating, you know, it's like, it's all there all the time, you know, it's all just water, you know, it's just the water yeah. on the planet. And then it's just like, what, just yeah. changing though. Sometimes when the creek rainy. runs, when the creek runs dry, the, the deer migrate. They go right. somewhere. They look. They look elsewhere. They they go. No water today. Maybe gotta have water. Gotta go somewhere. And every moment, you know, the same. The cat's owner dies. The cat does new things now. Walks out. Finds something else. Finds a new place. Finds a mouse. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's that moment. Sometimes it's to... a drought. Sometimes it's a flood. Sometimes it's a thunderstorm. Sometimes it's a a fresh morning mist. You know, it's. Just different, and it's hard to do anything right in a panic. Too. Yeah, like yeah. with and the panic is dictated by the past and the future, but not mm. the present. You know, the present. There's I think a that calmness. is a big, yeah, in in the moment or internally. You know, you just and we. I think we know that in a way. We know that all this noise, like the social media and the constant stream of information and the news, and this is happening and that's happening. We know that that makes us crazy. But we don't know, we haven't figured out how to stop doing that. We haven't, we don't believe that it's right here inside of you is a whole world that you can try to figure out and get to know and do something with. And it's probably not full of panic. It's probably right there inside of you in a moment. (laughs) Still voice inside. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the still calm voice. It's all, and it's always there. Right. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise, Praise the Moloch. <laughs> yeah.